Well, just a little brief uh, review for those of you that were not here. In part one of our series, Why God Said Remember, we were reminded that the Sabbath is really God's day, and it was instituted at creation and given to man as a gift. A reminder that He is our Creator, and as we sang just now, that He alone is worthy of our praise and worship. It is not a day for the Jews. It is a day for all mankind throughout all generations. A day of worship and rest, sanctified and blessed, a day that will maintain its sanctity throughout eternity. In part two... We saw the importance of observing the Sabbath. We live in a world today where man is trying to downplay the importance of the special day that God has given us to the point that even those who claim to be followers of Christ don't keep the Sabbath the way God originally intended that it should be kept. And so we were reminded how important it is because in observing the Sabbath, we are testifying to the world of our allegiance to God and our faithfulness to Him. Today we are going to look at the Sabbath as a sign of our allegiance to God. The Sabbath will be the final test that man will face before Jesus comes. And as we begin this little journey this morning, I want to take you all the way back to the beginning of what most Seventh-day Adventists understand as the great controversy. The world pretty much understands that there's a battle between good and evil, but as Christians, we know that there's a real controversy going on in the spiritual world around us, and that battle is for your soul and for mine. The only difference in this war is that the side of love will not force their desires and their will upon you or me, yet the other side will do whatever they can through whatever means they can to steal your soul from the kingdom of heaven. This great controversy between Christ and Satan began, as we all know, in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God. You see, Lucifer was looking around at all the glory and majesty of heaven. Lucifer, holding a pretty high rank in the kingdom of heaven, decided that, you know, really, I think I should be the guy up there. I want all of these angels to worship me. And you see, the issue of the great controversy began when sin was found in Lucifer's heart. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 12 through 14 gives us a pretty clear illustration of what took place. Lucifer had determined in his own heart that he wanted not to be like the Most High, but he wanted to replace the Most High. And as the controversy continued, we know that the controversy was then brought down to earth and the battle continued as the war went on. Although cast out, he continued to seek the worship of men and women in this world. Now, most of you know that this is a true fact, that the devil, through his sophistries, is trying to lead men and women astray and even to the point of desecrating the true Sabbath and making people forget the true importance of the Sabbath and what it means. I want to just remind you of a few brief illustrations, and we're not going to go there. I'm going to give you scriptural references if you want to write them down, but due to time this morning, we won't go to these because we have some things that I think are more important. But I want you to see some illustrations of the issue of worship as it began in the very beginning. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. 
If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, you will see that little illustration of the controversy that took place over the issue of how to worship God. Remember, Abel brought his sacrifice to God, which was the accepted sacrifice of a lamb, and Cain wanted to bring the fruits of his own labor. And God said, this isn't what I ask you to bring. You see, my brothers and sisters, we need to understand that in the plan of salvation, it's not what you do or what I do that earns us the way to the kingdom. It's through the gift of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then on down through time, we saw where Joshua challenged the children of Israel. You remember that in Joshua 24, verses 1 and 2, and 14 and 15, where Joshua told the children of Israel, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. You see, there's always this continual battle. The devil is trying to divide and conquer even in the midst of God's people. Again, the children of Israel, remember when Elijah stood as it seemed alone on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. Elijah asked the question, how long halt you between two opinions? And gave them the same opportunity. Come back, serve the Lord. Don't serve Baal. Don't go off serving other gods. Moving on down, how about the three Hebrew worthies? They're going to be the subject of our study today. And also in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel himself was faced with the issue of worship. You see, as we've said so many times, the issue of the great controversy is an issue of worship. Not just how we worship, but when we worship, and especially who we worship. So I want you to turn with me today, if you will, as we begin, and let's see how the Bible tells us about the Sabbath being a sign between God and His people. Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. There's two verses that you're all familiar with. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 and 20. And we touched on these last week, but we want to look at it one more time today as we launch into our study on this final study on why God said remember. Ezekiel 20 and beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, moreover, moreover also, I did what? I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. Again, in this verse, we are reminded that the Sabbath belongs to God. He has given it to mankind, and man is to keep that Sabbath as a sign that we understand who our true creator is. And if you look over at Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, God says it in another way. He says, and hallow what? My Sabbaths. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. You see, the problem is, is the devil has done such a good job in his deceptive work that the world is confused as to who God really is. But God says, I am the Lord your God. How do you know who I am? Because I am the one that created the world, the heavens, and the earth. I am the one that created you, and I am the one that has the power to recreate your heart. And now go with me to our verse for today, Exodus chapter 31. We're going to start a little earlier. I didn't want to scare you at the very beginning, but we're going to start in verse 14 now. 
I didn't want to read that verse at verse 14 because I didn't want you to be afraid before we even started. But I think it's important that we read verses 13 and 14 of Exodus 31 because it's important that we understand what's going on in this controversy. Exodus chapter 31, and I'll begin in verse 13. The Bible says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Now, we all like that verse, don't we? That's a good, strong verse. We like it because God says, again, it's a sign between him and us that he is our God that sanctifies us. Now, the next verse we may not like so much. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defile it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Verse 15, six days may work be done, but on the seventh is the Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. But carry on. Verse 16, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. And those of you that were here last week remember that we saw that as time progressed and Israel was rejected by God, it now became not literal Israel but spiritual Israel. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 through 29. We know that spiritual Israel is to follow through with this covenant with God in keeping of the Sabbath day. Does that make sense this morning? Okay, so we see that we know the carrying on of that covenant forever is carried on by spiritual Israel or God's last day remnant people. And moving on to verse 17, it says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And finally, in verse 18, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of the communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. When we look at those verses, there's some very important things that we want to understand as we move forward. We see that God was saying that anyone that violated the Sabbath would be put to death. Now, what we need to remember is, is that the Sabbath is the very center of the Ten Commandment law of God, is it not? And we know that the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 that sin is what? Transgression of the law. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is Death. Therefore, we can understand why God said that if you violate the Sabbath, you are violating one of the commandments. And if you violate a commandment, you're transgressing my law, and the wages of sin is death. But praise God this morning, the gift of God is eternal life. You see, my brothers and sisters, we may have sinned, we may have erred in our lives, but we can confess our sins, and we can be forgiven and cleansed of those sins. And this morning, that's something important for us to remember as we move forward. James also tells us that if we break one commandment, we've what? We have broken them all. So you see, God was laying out something for us to understand, but he was also pointing forward to a time at the very end of time, that final warning where God was going to let people know that they were going to have to make a decision as to who they would worship. 
And we're going to look at Revelation 13 in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you like to read books? Okay, a lot of hands go up. How many of you, when you read a book, you go and read the last chapter so you know what happens and then you start over? All right, there's a few brave souls that admit it. What we're going to do this morning, and I think it's important, is we're going to look at the last chapter before we go back and start the study, okay? So let's take and go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 is a very, very powerful chapter. It's a very important chapter in understanding the great controversy that we are in. And I'm, I'm going to share with you some things today. One of the things that I love when I study the Bible is I love the way God will from verse to verse. You know, we are told in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, to study what? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And what I love is when I follow that pattern that God has laid out as I'm studying a particular subject, as I go through His Word and I search things out, what I love is how God will put phrases that are almost word for word so that I can know without a question that this subject is connected and I can follow this path through. Now notice as we begin in chapter 13 of Revelation, verse 1, And I stood be upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, those of you that have studied prophecy, those of you that have gone through the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, we know this to be what beast? Don't everybody speak at once. What, what beast do we know this to be? Are you afraid to say that word? Okay, it's papal Rome or the papacy, all right? And as we move on down, we want to see in verse 3, it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded unto death, and his deadly wound was healed, and what? All the world wondered after the beast. I want you to keep that in your mind because as we continue on, we're going to see what kind of problem that presents with all the world wondering after this beast. And in verse 4 it says, And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And I want you to skip to verse 7 now, and it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. So now, can we just say without trying to figure out who all these beasts are, with this first one, as we look at it, can we just say clearly that there's going to be an issue that comes upon the world of worship? Does that make sense to you? All right, and as we progress now through chapter 13, we find in verse 11 that another beast comes along. In verse 11 it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon." And then go down to verse 14, and it says that this beast, the second beast, deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the first beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make a what? An image to the beast. It's important that you remember that. Which had the wound by a sword and did live. So now we have a beast 
In the first 10 verses, we have a beast, and then the second 11 verses are moving on from verse 11 and onward. We have another beast that is making an image to that beast. Does that make sense? All right, so we carry on in verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So now you can see that between these two beasts, we are going to be forced to worship someone or something, right? Does that make sense? We are going to be forced to worship someone or something. And now what I'd like for you to do with me is I'd like for you to go with me now back to Daniel chapter 3 as we look at the beginning of the story. You see, the Bible points out very clearly one important factor, and that is that so many times history repeats itself. Today we are talking about why God said remember. And I'm hoping that you are able to just remember that there is going to be an issue over worship in that book of Revelation chapter 13. Now, this is a very, very interesting story in the book of Daniel. We know that Daniel and Revelation are sister books. It's always good to study these two books together. And as we go through our study this morning, I read you Revelation 13. I read points in Revelation 13 because I want you to see as we look at the book of Daniel how there are phrases that are exactly word for word the same in these two books. In Daniel chapter 3, as we begin in verse 1, First, I'll recap. For those of you that might not be familiar with the book of Daniel, the children of Israel had been taken captive into Babylon. Along with the children of Israel, there were young men who were very intelligent, they were very healthy, they were very fit, and these young men were taken into the court of the king to be trained so that he could use them in his system. Nebuchadnezzar was an unusual man. Most kings, when they go into a country and they overtake a country, they would wipe out leadership, they would wipe out anyone that they thought could stir up rebellion. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who liked education. He wanted to learn about other cultures, about other civilizations, and when he would bring people in under his reign, he would train them, and also he would try to learn things from them. So these young men were brought into the court of Nebuchadnezzar, and in chapter 2, you remember he had a vision, and he couldn't exactly remember what the vision was, and he needed someone to come in and tell him the vision and then explain what it meant. Lo and behold, Daniel, the slave from Israel, comes in and reveals this vision, reveals the meaning of the vision, and now in chapter 3, we find that Nebuchadnezzar is not unusual for most kings in that once he figured out what was going on, he wanted to change the story. He didn't like the fact that he was only the head of gold. He wanted to be the whole image, right? So notice now as we go on in verse chapter 3 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. Now, are you already hearing a word that you heard in Revelation? We've already got image going together, right? All right. He said he made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth three score cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura. 
Now drop down, we know he's got this big image set up on the plain of Dura, and notice in verse 4 it says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Now I want you to go with me for just a minute in your mind to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, and we know that there's an everlasting gospel that's going to be preached to every kindred, tongues, nations, and people, right? So here we have, he is called every nation and people and language together. Uh, Can we start seeing the beginning of a false message going forth against the three angels' message? Is that possible? That as far back in Daniel's day, the mystery of his iniquity was already at work trying to confuse people over the truth of God's word? Going on in verse 5, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image. Does that take you back to Revelation 13? We're supposed to worship an image, right? And then in verse 6 it says, And whoso falleth not down and worship, that shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, Revelation 13 words it a little differently. If we're not willing to worship the beast in his image, we will be killed, right? So Daniel's day, killing people just happened to be tossing them in the fiery furnace. So hopefully they figure out something a little quicker and more painless in the last days, but I don't think so. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, how many people? All people, the nations and the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So in other words, the God of heaven has set up something for us to take time to spend on a Sabbath day in worshiping him, and the king or a ruler of men decides he's going to alter what God has done. So he calls every language and representative of every language, kindred, tongue, and nation together. And when he sets up his image, he wants everyone to fall down and worship it. Now, he doesn't do this out of love. He's not going door to door with tracks and saying, you know, I love you. And I would like you to come and worship my image and and hand out a little track. No, he has them all come together. And he says, you see this golden image? Now, if you don't kneel down when we play this nice music, I've got a, a warm place for you to warm up in right over here. A fiery furnace. My brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that everyone on that plane knelt down to worship. But those three Hebrew worthies. Now, I'm guessing, I'm guessing But I will be willing to bet that there were other young Israelites that were in that group. And I hope that you're understanding this message as we begin this morning. You may think that you're in God's remnant church. You may think that because you show up Sabbath morning and you put tithe in the offering plate that you are faithful to God. But brothers and sisters, when the test comes and you have to make a decision, and it may even be for your very life, the question is going to be, then will you still be willing to stand and keep the Sabbath? You see, as this controversy progresses further down, my friends, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be for the faint of heart. 
It's not going to be for those who don't truly trust God and have all of their faith in Him and make a decision just like the three Hebrew worthies did that whether or not I'm saved at this moment, I will not bow down to that image. As this story progressed, I want you to go to verse 11. Verse 11, it said, And whoso falleth not down and worship, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, you know how the story progressed. They, they didn't kneel down. Now, there was such a huge crowd there that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even tell that they didn't kneel down. Tattletales had to come up. <laughs> Tattletales, have you ever, did your brother or sister ever tell on you when you were little? Didn't that just make you mad? You know, they, they hey, mom, you know, mom, you know what? Guess what Ralph did? Well, that's what happened that day. They're standing out there, and, you know, they're being as brave as they can be standing up, and all of a sudden everybody else is on their knees. But these three young men are called up before Nebuchadnezzar. And now I want you to notice how they respond to this king. Go with me, if you will. Let's start in verse 15. Actually, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake, said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? I want to pause right there. Do you know that when these three young men were first brought into the kingdom of Babylon, they didn't have those names, did they? You see, in this story, the names have been changed, but it's not to protect the innocent. The names have been changed because Nebuchadnezzar was trying everything that he could think of. Remember this this morning. Nebuchadnezzar was using every angle that he could think of to take them and distract them away from following their God. Now, I want you to listen carefully, just quickly, to their names. Daniel's name was God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means God is without equal. And Azariah, God is my helper. Every single one of those names reminded them of their creator God. Now notice what Nebuchadnezzar did. The minute they came into his court, their names were changed. Daniel to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar meant Baal will protect his life. Hananiah to Shadrach. Shadrach, worshiper of the moon god. Mishael to Meshach, devotee of the goddess of wine. And Azariah to Abednego, servant of Nebo. You see, the devil works in little increments, and we need to remember that he's he's trying to move on your life as he's trying to steer you away from the kingdom of God. He's doing it little steps at a time. And he may be doing it in a way that you think, well, I have nothing I can do. I can't stop it. Brothers and sisters, you can stop it by keeping focused on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. And as the story continues on, look now at verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Do you think this is a time for God to stand up? You think this is a time for God to let people know who He is and who's going to win this controversy ultimately? Can you imagine what God must have been thinking when that king said that? Well, notice what these faithful young men said in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they said, we know what's at stake here as we give you this answer. 
We know what could happen, but we want you to know. In verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. These guys made it personal. They didn't just say, God will deliver us from that fiery furnace. They said, God will deliver us out of your hands. You think he was stirred up a little bit? You think he was a little bit upset at that response? But then they carry on in verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, my brothers and sisters, today you may not face a fiery furnace. But you may face the loss of a job because you want to keep the Sabbath. You know, as we talked about it last week, I can't tell you how many people I encounter that tell me, well, you know, I'd be coming to church, but I'd lose my job if I quit work on Sabbath. I'd be coming to church, and I know Sabbath is the right day, but, but I've got to take care of my family. You see, my friends, I believe that God is wanting us to know that if He's the creator of heaven and earth, then He surely can take care of us. But we're going to have to step out in faith. And sometimes, as we've mentioned before, we may not be able to see around the corner. We may not be able to see what's beyond that fiery furnace. But God can. And He says, trust me with all of your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me, and I will direct your paths. Now notice what went on here. This is just incredible in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage which changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it want to be heated. Oh, you know, I was thinking about that the other night. I don't know if you saw it on the, if you saw it on that uh, that movie that everybody's watching, the Bible. And you know, in the movie, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked up and they failed to do what they were supposed to, the furnace wasn't even lit. They walked them into the furnace, and they all walked in and stood there. And then a guy threw a match or something in and lit it. And I'm saying, I can tell you right now that that's not the Bible story. And I can guarantee you that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at that fiery furnace that was heated up seven times hotter than before, they were saying to themselves, Okay, Lord, I guess this is it. I hope you remember us because I think this is the end. Now, you've got to admit, you'd be thinking the same thing. And my question is, how many of us would be going, You know, okay, let's talk about this one more time. What was that about the music and... Seriously, how many of us, when we see something like that, because you know, how many of you have been burned before? I've been burned before. Let me tell you, I made a mistake one day and threw a match on a, on a big pile of wood that I had thrown gas on. Actually, I take it back, it wasn't a match, it was one of those strikers. I don't know what I was thinking. But I, I reached down like this and I clicked it like that, and it exploded And before I shut my eyes and blew back 10 feet, I saw a flame running straight up my arm towards my face. And it blew me back 10 feet. And when I got up, I said, I'm still alive. My eyebrows were burnt off. The front of my hair was burnt. I had on shorts. The hair on my knees was burnt off. The hair on my arm was gone. And I'm thanking God 
an angel, I swear, put his hands over my eyes because I watched the flame come right up my arm. So my brothers and sisters, I know that many of us know what it's like to be burned, and we would not want to be in a situation like this. And I believe that those young men knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this was not going the right way. And they said, you know, Lord, it looks like you're calling us to give our lives for you today. And I believe that many of us in these final hours of earth's history may be in a circumstance where we think we're giving our lives for Jesus, but we are going to see miraculous deliveries. Look at what carries on now in verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You think it was hot? And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace, and he didn't see three men burning up. He saw four. And the Bible says that the fourth was what? Like unto the Son of God. When he looked into that fiery furnace, he recognized the Son of God because the character of those young men. He would not have known who that fourth person was had he not seen the character of Christ in those three young men. You see, I believe that keeping the Sabbath, remembering God's special day is much more than just a legalistic, I do this because I believe that I'm going to heaven. It's because we love God and we know it's a sign of our connection to Him. And no matter what the world says, we are going to stand for Him under any circumstance. We know how the story ends. Nebuchadnezzar called the three young men out. They came out of the fiery furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar did what most men do. Is he, he then made another decree that everyone was supposed to worship. You know, it's like people just, they can't get it. You see, God is a God of love, and he wants us to serve him and worship him out of love and devotion to him. He does not want us to do anything by force. He doesn't want a bunch of robots that just do what he tells them to do because they're afraid they're going to be destroyed if they do contrary. You see, God is a God of love and mercy. I want you to move on with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Why am I sharing these stories with you today? Because I want you to remember this morning... The Sabbath is more than just a day where we say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't work on Sabbath. I keep the Sabbath. I want you to understand that the Sabbath is this irrevocable link between man and the God that he serves. The Sabbath is this sign that tells the world that we are connected to God. It is a sign that tells the world that we know who our Creator is. It's a sign that tells the world that we know who our Redeemer is. You see, the Sabbath is this beautiful sign that God gave us so that we would never forget who He is and all that He has done to redeem us. 
In Daniel chapter 6, I believe that we can see this connection between Daniel 3, Daniel 6, and Revelation 13. Because what we are seeing in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6 are those who should be the ones representative of the character of those who will be standing in the time of Revelation 13. And notice in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was what? Daniel was first, that the princess might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because what? An excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was an error or fault found in him. Now, do you think that the, the people of God, the remnant church of God that the devil goes to make war against in the last days, do you think that those people are going to have that kind of character? Go with me quickly. Keep your finger right there in Daniel 6 and go with me to Revelation 14. Revelation chapter 14. And remember what it says here so you can once again see how God connects these verses together. It says, But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found him in him. Revelation 14 verses 4, 5, and 6. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without what? For they are with, without fault before the throne of God. These are people in the last days who that the only way they're going to be able to do anything contrary or against them is by doing something that will cause them to have to give up their God or their faith because they can't say anything bad about their characters. Are you working towards that in your life today? You know, the other day I was, I was, um, I was at the bank and I was just going to cash a check and and I, I've moved, you know, so I'm now at a different bank. And, and, and I started going through all these problems with this person over just cashing this check. And I felt that heat coming up. And, and you know, and I, I, I found myself talking a little louder than normal. You ever do that? And you can tell when you're talking, you're saying, and after you finish talking, you go, you know, I know that didn't sound good. And you know, brothers and sisters, think about it. Character is the only thing you're taking to the kingdom. Amen. And if you're not developing that character now, you won't be in the kingdom. You see, God isn't going to change your character. He's going to do everything else for you. But He won't be changing your character because that character will have been developed. Because the Bible tells us in, in uh, the book of 1 John that when Jesus comes, we'll know him because we'll be like him. Do you know Jesus this morning? Are you reflecting his character in your life? You know, when those young men were thrown into the fiery furnace, they weren't disrespectful to that king. In fact, they said, we know what we're doing here. We know that by responding to you this way, but we just want you to know that we serve a God 
that is much more powerful than you. And we have to stand up for Him no matter what you say to us today. And you see, in Daniel chapter 6, it's the same issue carried on. It's an issue of worship. And in Daniel chapter 6, what I want you to notice is just like in Revelation chapter 13, that it is man who is setting forth decrees, and those decrees are going against the law of God. Do you understand what that means to you and to me? That means that we are going to have to make a decision. Am I going to serve God and His law, or am I going to fall and serve man and do what they tell me to do? That's why the mark of the beast is either going to be in the forehead or in the hand, because if it's in the forehead, you are what? You're believing it. Remember, all the world wondered after the beast? So if the mark goes in their forehead, that means they believe it with everything they've got. But if they receive the mark in their hand, they didn't have enough strength to stand for what they really believed. They wanted to make sure they could still get a paycheck, still take care of the family. And so they said, here, here's my hand. Keep giving me the food and the money, and I'll keep following you. But you see, the people of God will receive the seal of God. And we know that the seal of God, the outward sign of the seal of God is His seventh-day Sabbath. Because the Sabbath commandment is the only one that reveals the seal of God, right? His name, His, his uh, position, and His territory. And we know that that's the only commandment that reveals the seal of God. Isn't it interesting that it's at the very center of the Decalogue? Isn't it interesting that that's the only commandment where God said, Remember. Do you think that it's going to be an issue in the final hours? You know, when you look at the story of Daniel, Daniel was faithful. He was so faithful to the point that no one can find any fault or error in him. But you see, they went to the king, and under false pretenses, notice in verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom and the governments and the princes, the counselors and the captains, and counseled together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into a den of lions. So now we go from a fiery furnace to a den of lions. But you see, Daniel was faithful. And here's the question for you and for me. Because you look down in verse 10 and see how Daniel responded when he saw what was going on. Now, when Daniel knew what the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees. How many times a day? Three times a day, he said, I know they're watching me. I'm not going to close my windows. I know exactly what's going on here, but I am not altering the way I worship and serve my God. Are you willing to do that today? You know, we say, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, I don't want people to think I'm nuts. I don't want people to think I'm weird. And that's the problem with the remnant church in the last days because everyone likes to be accepted. Everyone wants to be accepted, so we're trying to figure out how can we be accepted by the other churches so they don't think we're weird or nuts. But you see, we're told in Scripture that we are a peculiar people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood that we should show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. There's a great controversy going on. And somebody needs to tell the world the message that Jesus is coming soon. And if they're following after the beast and his image, they are not going to receive the seal of the living God. And if they don't see, receive the seal of the living God, will they make it through this time of trouble such as never was? No. 
they will not be able to enter into the gates into the city. You see, but Daniel remained faithful even at the peril of his own life. You see, my brothers and sisters, when we go back and we look in history, we're fortunate because we have the example of young men You know, inspiration tells us that when Daniel and his three friends were taken out of Israel, they were only 15 or 16 years old. Young men. Young men. And I'm thankful for young men and women that are willing to stand up for what they know is right. Because there's so few in the world that will stand up. But brothers and sisters, they need to see us standing up. Dennis said it this morning. We don't have any trouble with the world because we're just like the world. You know, can the world look at you? Can the world watch you for a week, for a day, for an hour, and see that there's something different about you than them? And I want you to know this morning, it's not just the way you dress. It's your character. And you know what? The character is going to be revealed more and more as time progresses. So you better be on your knees... And you better be seeking the only one that can make a difference in your character. You see, in these last days, the issue of the great controversy is going to come to a head. And just like there's always been throughout the course of time, it's going to come down to where there's only two groups. And the devil is going to be so deceptive that the second group is going to think that they're serving God. The second group is going to think they're doing what God wants them to do. Remember Paul when he was going through Israel and he was persecuting all the Christians? He thought he was doing what God wanted him to until he met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. And when Paul met Jesus on the road, Jesus said, Paul, what are you doing to me? What do you mean, Lord? You're going around, you're killing all my people. What are you doing, Paul? Make sure you know you're going in the right direction. Make sure you know whose side you're really on. The Bible is full of men and women who thought they were going the right direction, but because they were not willing to surrender everything to God, they were going the wrong direction. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you right now, and this is what this message is all about this morning. Why did God say remember? Because He knew that the Sabbath was going to be the final test for man. He knew that the issue was going to come down to a day of worship. And if you don't look at the world around you right now and see that it's being set up for this very thing, then you better start opening your eyes a little wider. You better start studying your Bible a little more. Because the world is being set up for this very issue of the great controversy. And God's people are going to have to make a decision. You see, the thing that we understand through the stories of Daniel is that circumstances do not change principles. Circumstances do not change principles. Culture does not transcend truth. Do you think that Daniel, when he went from Israel into Babylon, went into a different culture? You better believe he did. But you notice that culture did not transcend the truth and the principles that Daniel kept. Compromise leads to complacency. Complacency leads to a lost connection with Jesus Christ. You see, Daniel predicted in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 12 that the truth would be cast to the ground. 
Daniel foretold in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 that there would be one who thought to change times and laws. And I want you to notice it says he will think to change. You can't change God's law. It's unchangeable. Oh, you may issue a man-made decree, but you cannot change God's law. So make sure, my brothers and sisters, that you are serving the God who created the law and not following some men who think they can change it. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 12 through 14, we have been called to be the restorers of the breach, to repair the breach, and to remind the world once again why God said, remember. Why did God say, remember? Because the day that He rested upon, the day that He sanctified, the day that He blessed is a day that will be observed by all of His true followers throughout eternity. Why did God say remember? Because the Sabbath is to continually forever be a sign between God and His people that He is the God that sanctifies us. This morning, my challenge to you is to hold on to the truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This morning, I challenge you, as a professed follower of Jesus, to make sure that it's more than just a profession in your life, to make sure that you understand that the seal of the living God is the day that you worship on. And, a, and that's the outward symbol. The inward symbol of the seal of God, we know, is a settling into the what? To the truth. This morning, I ta challenge you, make sure that you are learning the truth for yourself. Young people, old people, whoever you are, make sure you are learning the truth for yourself today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.